We're doing a little summer series in the book of Proverbs, but uh, we've been going through the book of Proverbs just kind of in a cursory overview, kind of a fashion, and I'll tell you, it's hard for me to study for these kind of messages, and the reason is because you're not really dealing with theological matters per se. You know what I'm saying? You're dealing with a lot of practical insight, how to communicate, your heart, all these things, and there's some theology in there. But uh, I'm so used to going to the Bible and pulling out what the Word of God says as far as theology and doctrine and things like that. And as we've been going through this study, it's very, very, hopefully you found it very practical to your own lives. And um, I know it has been for mine as I've studied and uh, sought this out. But today we're in uh, the book of Proverbs and we're going to be looking at you and your counseling. We've looked at you and your heart and uh, we've looked at you and your tongue and some other things. And Today, we, you and your job was last week. And uh, so the messages are online if you weren't here and, and you want to get those. But today, we want to look at you and your counseling. And you may say, well, wait a minute, I'm not a counselor. Well, I, hopefully by the end of our message today, you'll realize that as a believer, you are a counselor. And you have the ability to give people biblical counsel. But to many people, counseling is considered a profession, you might say, a skill to be practiced only by trained counselors. Um, And that's partly true, for there's those who have been schooled and trained, um, and they know how to untie the emotional and mental knots that uh, sometimes cause us to struggle in life and cause maybe confusion in our lives. In some cases, actually, a professional is a lot better person to seek out. Because there's certain issues. Sometimes there's physical issues involved. But there is, however, a much broader base for counseling. Members of God's family, believers, are often competent and are called to and are expected to counsel one another. And of course, some are more effective than others, right? Well, I got this little clip from online. I just want, to watch, I want you to watch this this morning because this is... Probably not the best counseling therapy session that you'll run into. Go ahead. And that's why yellow makes me sad, I think. That's interesting. You know what makes me sad? You do! Maybe we should chug on over to Mamby Pamby land where maybe we can find some self-confidence for you, you jackwagon! Tissue? Cry, baby. But, you know, that's probably, you look at that, I mean, I look at that and I kind of relate to that. I'm kind of like, that's probably what you'll get from me if you come to me for counseling, you know, in a, in a certain degree. That's why I always rely on John or Ken to be there with me when I'm counseling somebody. Because sometimes, you know, certain people are drawn to counseling, some people aren't. And really, it comes down to an issue of psychology versus biblical counseling. And I hopefully, this morning will be a, a practical application for you that you'll understand that there is a difference between psychology and biblical counseling. A big difference. Psychology approaches human behavior from a secular, humanistic perspective. If you've ever had a a class in psychology or anything like that, that's where they're coming from. Biblical revelation is irrelevant in their minds to understanding or changing human behavior. They would laugh at that. Psychology seeks to distribute and to kind of describe and to explain human behavior apart from what God has clearly defined. 
Its premises are derived from mostly man-made theories, human wisdom, research conducted without a corresponding search for truth as God defines truth. The end result is a field of study, really, that has yielded hundreds of conflicting theories, constantly changing hypotheses and just a a bundle of widely opposing experts who disagree from one school of thought to the next. If you've ever gone to that kind of a counselor, you know what I'm talking about. You go to see one, they tell you one thing. You go to see another, they tell you something totally different. Worse still, in the field of study that produces, in that field of study, it really produces an endless therapy with little lasting help. It is satisfied to control rather than, this is psychology, satisfied to control rather than conquer destructive behavior and mitigate rather than eliminate its devastating effects. Now, you say, okay, that's psychology. Does that mean it's bad? Well, it has its place. But when you're talking about biblical counseling, it's different than psychology. Biblical counseling is exactly the opposite, really. Whereas secular psychology begins with the study of man's ideas, biblical counseling begins with the study of what? God's Word. And as it relates to the human behavior and the human need, it's dependent upon the revealed mind of God rather than the easily deceived mind of man. Yet it does not just begin with God. It follows a path that is in constant harmony with the Word of God and it addresses man's problems in light of God's answers, not man's. God's truth is the focal point of biblical counseling because it is God's truth when it's obeyed that enables believers to know the truth that sets them free. That's what he said in John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will what? What's it say? Set you free. See, the desired end of biblical counseling is a life filled with God's goodness and good outcome of spiritual maturity, which includes not only wisdom and understanding, but the character qualities of genuine love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, humility, temperance, self-control. See, if you think that you can solve a person's problem without the help or without even the enlightenment of God's Word, that's really a foolish thing to think. It's kind of thinking that you can somehow fix your automobile by consulting a chef and reading a cookbook. That wouldn't work. The chef might know how to cook, and the cookbook might have some great recipes and great information about how to prepare food, but they're not going to tell you anything about the mechanical complexities of your car, much less how to fix it. For that, you need to consult An owner's manual who was written by the car manufacturer that knew how the car was put together, knew where each wire went, what switch did what, and you need to enlist the help of a good car mechanic who's good at experiencing and experienced at fixing cars. Well, we know that the Bible is our owner's manual as believers. Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's what it stands for. 
That's what God has left us here with. He wants us to consult it. He wants us to go dive into it to see what wisdom we can glean in our life, for our life. It contains everything one needs to know about God in order to trust and believe in Him. And everyone needs to know about life on earth and human nature in order to live a happy and fulfilled life, free from those things that enslave human beings and steal their joy. Things like anger, things like fear, things like worry and hatred and guilt, greed, sexual immorality. If you look over at first, Second Peter real quick in the New Testament, Second Peter chapter 1 says there, Second Peter chapter 1, look at verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power has given us, believers, all things, it says. Not some things, not most things, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who has called us to glory and virtue, Virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption or the moral decay that is in the world through lust, desiring that which is forbidden by God. That's how I would define lust, desiring something that is forbidden by God. So we see that in God... In Christ, he has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We don't need to go outside that circle. It's all right there for us. Christ is sufficient for our every need. God's word is sufficient for our every need. Well, what is biblical counseling? What is biblical counseling? Well, first of all, biblical counseling is not beating people over the head with the Bible. (laughs) That's not what biblical counseling is. Sometimes you kind of want to do that, but that's probably not most effective. Nor is it saying, you know what, take two verses and call me in the morning. It's not that either. It's not that simple. It's not a one problem, one verse, one quick solution kind of a deal. That's not what biblical counseling is. And I trust that today, as we look at the book of Proverbs as our guide, we're going to examine in the Old Testament... Some references, it actually references counseling in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Deuteronomy. Several books, actually. And we're going to look at what, what is meant by counseling in the Old Testament. So let's get our Bibles ready. And first scripture I want to look at is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 19. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 19. What is meant by, quote, counseling in the Old Testament? Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. It says, Therefore, uh, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, that, that term there, 
that you shall, um, uh, uh, t- talking about them or teaching them, talking of them when you sit down. That, that word, talking there, really is used of a normal, everyday conversation. Something you'd have at work, something you'd have in your house. Over-the-table conversation. And it comes from a root that has to deal with counsel. You're talking to somebody. Counsel, first of all, you, you have to have communication. Not all counseling is formal. Not all counseling is you go in, you lay down on the couch, and okay, <laughs> tell me your problems. Casual conversation with individuals is often a superb basis for counsel, to offer someone counsel. You're just talking to them, being available to them. Second scripture, Proverbs 15.22. says there in Proverbs 15.22, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many, what, counselors, it says, they succeed. This term is a, a bit heavier meaning than the previous word in the Old Testament. It has the idea of conversing in a friendly, yet kind of a confidential manner. This kind of counseling is, is less casual. And it's marked by maybe privacy or confidentiality. Another place we find the idea of the word counsel is in Psalm 64.2. Psalm 64.2 Psalmist writes, hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers. Now, if you put that in the context, David was asking God to deliver him from the evil counselors who were to be kind of coming against him. And though the term here is used in a negative sense, it's interesting because in the language it can be used both in a negative and positive way. It can reflect both negative and positive results. But this kind of counsel was involved and it's often painful. On the surface, sometimes this kind of counsel may even seem to be a mistake. But in the end, it usually can be proven to be extremely beneficial. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. Says there, a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. You want to be a person of understanding? Well, then acquire wise counsel. That term means to bind or to pledge. It's never used in the verb form, but it has the idea of attaching a rope to an animal and pulling it along in, in the direction that you're going. And counseling sometimes is kind of like that. It involves giving specific direction to correct the area of the wrong. Next one there, Proverbs 12.2, or 12.20, excuse me, 12.20 says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. The Hebrew word here means to give advice. See, many people today adhere to this form of counseling. In the secular world, a lot of people basically to, adhere to a form of counseling, which means you, you, you simply listen. That's all you do. You, they come in, they sit on the couch, well, what's going on? And then you unload everything for an hour, and then the buzzer goes off and you leave. <laughs> Just somebody to listen. 
the counselor is expected to remain neutral. And they don't impose any thoughts at all concerning the issues or problems. They don't make any judgment calls. But you know what? As I look at Scripture, that kind of counseling is not supported from Scripture. I mean, it may serve as a basis or a foundation to get a little deeper with somebody, but we're not just to hear somebody's problems and then send them away. That's not what we're called to do as biblical counselors. Well, what's a working definition of biblical counseling? I think you got it there in your notes. Communicating with someone for the purpose of... Well, I'm going to read this one, then I'll read the other one. Communicating with someone for the purpose of clarifying, instructing, or changing areas in need of attention in his or her life. And here's the definition I came up Biblical counseling is Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered communication which results in loving and practical application of biblical truths with the goal of spiritual maturity and fruitfulness. (laughs) I know that's a big definition, but I don't know how else to tell you what it is, because that's exactly what it is. It's Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered, which is important to understand, communication. And it results in a loving and practical application of biblical truths with the goal. There's a goal in mind. You don't just send the person away. There's a goal of spiritual maturity and fruitfulness. And that kind of counseling can only be based on the inerrancy and the authority and the sufficiency of the Word of God. Uh, To safeguard against any kind of misguided or maybe unbalanced practices of counseling, which may mistakenly be be labeled biblical. Everybody today is, quote, oh, a biblical counselor or Christian counseling. You have to define your terms. It's like somebody saying, well, I'm a Christian. Well, what do you mean by that? And so some standards of practice are necessary to encourage excellence and to provide some measure of trustworthiness for general reference and referral. So that's the definition of counseling. Well, what are some specific benefits in biblical counseling, in the counseling that we're interested in. There's many benefits of counseling, and there's many mentioned throughout the Old Testament, but we're just going to kind of limit ourselves to the book of Proverbs. And there's a lot of verses in here, and we're not going to cover each one just because of time's sake. That's why I put them in there for you. Hopefully you can um, look them up later. But... Some of the benefits, first of all, some of the benefits to biblical counseling, first of all, is to help heal and relieve anxiety. How many people are anxious today? How many people need healing? I'm just talking physical healing. I'm talking emotional healing. I'm talking spiritual healing. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12.25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. See, sometimes to be a counselor, all you got to do is pull somebody aside and just say something positive to them. Say something nice to them. And don't make it up. You know, I mean, we can find something good in everybody, right? Be sincere. Part of being human is that we all have hurts in our lives. We're bothered by failures, maybe, that we've gone through. And counseling is kind of like someone coming along and putting a salve or a bomb on that, on that wound, that open sore. 
And when they say the right thing, boy, it just soothes it. It helps to bring about that healing and that repair. So relieve, help healing and relieve anxiety. Secondly, to help one find maximum fulfillment. Now that sounds real kind of weird, kind of a statement. But look at, in Proverbs eleven fourteen. here's what it says. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And then down verse 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. See, that is what Scripture calls success. Joshua 1.8. That term often gives us trouble because we tend to associate it with just having a bunch of money in your, bo- in your wallet. Success. Well, no, you can have success in a lot of different areas. So to find maximum fulfillment in life, sometimes it's good to have wise counsel. It's almost always necessary. Thirdly, to help one plan correctly. And this is really important. So many people, you know, they, they look at their life and they're trying to plan things out and they're trying to, to, to you know, give it direction and they don't know which way to go. And they're just crying out to God, God, just show me your will. Why won't you show me your will? And so many times... God is saying, well, wait a minute, I already have. You just need to look in the Word, and you do what I've told you to do already. I'll take care of the rest. So to help us plan correctly, in Proverbs 16, 9, it says, The the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or Proverbs 20, 18 says this, Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. See, sometimes our minds get mixed up. There's too many choices on the table. There's, there's too much to focus on. We don't know how to, we're almost paralyzed before all these decisions we have to make. And whenever we're faced with a crucial decision, and we have a multiple ways in which we can go, the Bible says it's always wise to bring a counselor and a wise counselor who can maybe simplify your options and help you work out some form of plan of action, rather than just have you paralyzed in the fear of the situation. And fourthly, to help one become wise. That's another benefit. Proverbs 12, 5, The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. So you can get counsel from wicked people. And they're just, it's deceptive counsel. Or you can get counsel from righteous people. In Proverbs 13.10, it says, By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Sometimes we don't want to take advice, right? I mean, nobody likes to be told what to do. I heard this illustration of a a wife bought her husband one of those GPS things, and he got it in the car, and and they're they're getting it set up, and and it, it came to a point, it says, Well, do you want... A male voice or a female voice? And the husband said, no woman's going to be telling me what to do all the time. You know, put the man on there. You know, this is kind of funny how we think. We don't like to be told what to do. Just human behavior. It doesn't matter whether we're male or female. Nobody likes to be told what to do. And if counseling is built on the foundation of Scripture, the counselor can help a confused person, somebody who's just trying to sort things out, see life from God's point of view. And that's very important. And it's not always confined to some private office somewhere. 
It can occur in a worship setting. It can occur between the pulpit and the pew. It can occur between, you know, Christians talking. All those areas, this kind of counsel can take place. So if you want to benefit from counsel, wise counsel, fit yourself into one of those. Are you, are you, you know, do, those, do those things benefit you when people give you counsel? And you can know if it's wise or not. And then thirdly this morning, I wanted to look at what are the ingredients that make some counselors more effective than others. You know, there's just some people that just have an innate ability to counsel people. And there's other people's, people that really don't. They don't have any interest in it. They don't have the patience for it. And basically, they're going to give you the bottom line every time. That's not bad, always. Sometimes that's even good. But what makes, more, what makes some counselors more effective than others? See, it's not only the words of counsel that are important. Do you understand that? It's not only the words, but it's also the life of the person speaking those words. That's very key. Anybody can mouth anything. People with heartache need counselors with certain characteristics. The better the person, the better his or her counselor. Uh, Here are eight matters that a counselor should tend to in his or her life. Like I said, this doesn't just apply to professional counselors. This applies to all of us, folks, because sooner or later, we're all going to be giving out counsel to some degree or another, whether it's with our spouse, our kids, people in the church, unbelievers even. God may call upon us. So what are these characteristics that make up an effective counselor? First of all, purity of life. Purity of life. It says in Proverbs 4, 18 and 19, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So who do you want giving you advice? Someone who's stumbling around in the darkness or someone who has their act together and they have a pure heart before God? The answer is kind of obvious. People want to hear not only from one who is I wouldn't say perfect, but one who is pure. One who's kept short accounts with God. Doesn't mean you're perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But your heart is pure before God as you give out that counsel. One who's faithfully dealt with the sin issues in his or her life. That's very key. Uh, People really do not want to go to a dirty vessel when you're looking for a glass of fresh water. I mean, do you go into your kitchen and walk over to the sink and, oh, look at this glass. It's been sitting there for a couple days. (laughs) I think I just want a glass of water. You don't do that. Why would you do that? That's disgusting. You go and you get a clean one or you clean it. You want a pure glass to refresh your body of that water. Same thing with counseling. That's why it's so important as believers that we're, we're constantly looking at our own lives. None of us are perfect. We all sin in a myriad of ways probably each and every day. But do we keep those short accounts with God? When we sin, are we rushing into his presence and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it again. Thank you for your forgiveness. Fill me once again with your spirit and let me move on. 
Or do we harbor it and we don't go to God and all these things build up and then we feel guilty and pretty soon we're so burdened down with all this muck in our life that we couldn't give somebody counsel if they begged us. Purity of life. Second thing is confidentiality. Confidentiality. Chapter 11, verse 13. It says, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Basic requirement of a good counselor, a lot of times, is just a shut mouth. He must be able to bury information in his mind. You have to be able at certain points in life to be able to say, you know what, this is loaded with sensitive information and I can't share this. That's a very important aspect of counseling. Not only from a legal standpoint, but just from a credibility standpoint. Sometimes we forget that sharing like that can, can cause immeasurable injury. And we, when we talked about the tongue, we talked a little bit about gossip, and we're not going to get into all that today. You can go back and listen to that message. But all counseling is not always confidential. can't be. For the well-being of the person being counseled sometimes, it can't be. So if you're ever talking to somebody and they come up to you and say, hey, I'm going to tell you something, but you've got to promise me right now you can't tell anybody at all, ever. My answer is, well, don't tell me. I don't want to know. What if they say, I'm going to go kill myself? Well, you promise me you wouldn't tell anybody. You know, see right there can't go there. Thirdly, not only confidentiality, but timing and tact. Timing and tact. And there's some verses listed there, Proverbs 15, uh, 22 and 23. It says, without counsel, plans go awry, but the multitude of counselors, they are established. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season. How good is it? See, one needing counsel needs another to whom he can pour out his heart. And when he's done pouring out his heart, sometimes that counselor's response is critical. An aching person is not helped when everything the counselor knows and feels just is suddenly dumped on him. Okay, that's your issue? Okay, here's what you need to dump it on. <laughs> that doesn't help. Early in counseling ministry, the people helper needs to learn both when and how to speak. And frankly, when not to say anything. Because ill-timed and ill-spoken words can create such an offense that the person can be hard to win back to that position where they can actually be helped. So you want to be tactful. You want to use your timing correctly. Fourthly, good listenership. Good listenership. 18.13 says this. He who answers a matter before he hears it, (laughs) it is folly and shame to him. How many of us have done that? Maybe we haven't done it physically. I actually have done that. I do that a lot. You know, somebody's talking. Oh, yeah, then I finish the sentence for him. I'm too impatient to sit there and try to listen to them get it out. 
It's not right, but sometimes that happens. Or sometimes you do it in your mind. You know, yeah, yeah, I know where this is going. You know, you're not even hearing what they're saying because you already know what they're going to say. Well, that's not good listenership. The art of listening has been lost in our day to day. Think about it. Everywhere you go, what do people have in their ears? Earbuds, right? I mean, you can't even communicate with people anymore. I mean, they're either talking to somebody on the phone with their little ear. You know, I, I was down at the coffee shop one day, and this guy was sitting across the way, and, you know, I'm reading my paper, and he just starts talking. And I'm like, I don't know this guy. And I'm kind of agreeing with him, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. He wasn't even talking to me. He was talking to his cell phone through, this, through his headphones. I couldn't hear the other guy. You know, and after a while, I'm thinking, this guy's not making any sense. You know, I lower the paper, you know, and kind of like, and he's got these earbuds in, and he's talking to, I don't know who he's talking to. But, I mean, he was talking loud. He wasn't like, yeah, okay, I'm in the coffee. He was talking loud like he was having a conversation with me. I was the only person in there. Just kind of crazy. I felt really stupid afterwards. But sometimes we need to stop and, and, and listen. Have you ever just gone to a place where it's just quiet? Just quiet. Sometimes I take my motorcycle over to Half Moon Bay, and I go up on this one uh, out there by Princeton. There's a uh, kind of a cliff and the landowner put some benches there and stuff, and you can sit there. And, you know, a couple times I take my iPod, and I'm sitting there jamming out the whatever, you know. And, and, and I thought, this is kind of silly. So I took it off one day, and I just sat there. And all I could hear was the wind blowing and the surf coming in. I mean, it was great. I didn't hear anything. Occasional plane that would fly over from the airport, but for the most part. It was so good just to stop. See, and listening is not only a matter of the ears. Effective listening should also involve the eyes. Some people are better than that than others. I don't like eye contact. You know, somebody's staring at me, I'm thinking, what's up with this person? You know, and I'm just shy. So when I'm talking to you, I'm, you know, same thing, I'm leading worship. You know, I'm not looking at you. I mean, you could all leave, and I'd still be up there playing the piano. I mean, that's how detached I am. That's probably not good in worship 101, but I don't want to be a distraction. And if I feel uncomfortable, and I know you're all looking at me, I'm, I'm going to feel very uncomfortable. And I'm not going to be able to do anything. So I just kind of go in this little zone, and I'm in a little bubble all by myself. Ask the worship team. They know. Yeah, you're by yourself, all right. Sometimes you go places we don't know where you're going. But good eye contact really confirms that the ears are doing a job, right? When, when someone, when you're in an interview, what do they tell you? Look them in the eye, Right? I mean, you can, you can go overboard with that. I mean, it's not, you're not staring somebody down. That's not the purpose of it. I mean, that would just kind of be unnerving. But it's important to understand that a person, we need to have eye contact because you can kind of almost see into a person's soul almost when you look in their eyes. So good listenership. A skilled counselor has to be able to lock himself into the person he's with and abolish all other thoughts so he can really look at this hurting person, whatever they're dealing with, and it may not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to them if they're there to talk to you. Like I said, we're not talking about professional counselors. This may be somebody at work that comes up to you and say, hey, you know, yeah, I'm having issues with my family or whatever. Why are they coming to you? You know, they're, they're coming to you for a reason. They see something in your life that they're trying to tap into. Hopefully that's Christ. Hopefully, that's your credibility. Hopefully, that's your faithfulness at your job. Everything they see in you, they're, they're coming to you because they're having issues. And so depending on how you counsel them, how you communicate with them, make sure you listen to them. 
Fifthly, objectivity and discernment. Proverbs eighteen seventeen it says, The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. <laughs> See, the counselor must learn to probe his subject's heart with more than just questions that prompt curiosity. He must really discover the use of questions which search the different kinds of implications that are involved in the situation. And that takes objectivity and it takes discernment to know how to ask these questions, what to say, how to say it. I was talking to someone the other day that was dealing with a relationship between what is called a, a, a boss and a worker. And the person who was talking to me was the worker, and they said, yeah, you know, my, my boss is just, you know, he doesn't, he just goes off in one direction, and then he expects me to do whatever for, you know, follow up with it, and I don't even know what direction he's going in. And he's always, you know, we had a meeting one time, and, and he said in the meeting, we, we uh, were sitting around, and, you know, we're trying to get the people engaged, and he answered all the questions that I asked, didn't let anybody else say, I said, well, your, your boss is insecure. It's an insecure person. He wants to be affirmed. So how do you build a relationship with somebody who's insecure, who always thinks you're out to get them? Well, you have to take time. It takes objectivity. It takes discernment. You have to, in a weird way, make them feel needed. Go to them for advice. Don't be giving them advice. They're not going to take that very well. Go to them for advice. Get to know them outside of the job, if you can. Then you can use that objectivity and that discernment to better your relationship with them. And then understanding. Understanding. A good counselor definitely needs to be understanding. Would you not agree? In, in, in 25, it says, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. But a man of understanding will what? What's it say? Draw it out. See, sometimes... You know, you, you talk to people and you're like, I'm not equipped to deal with this person. You know, that's where you've got to stop and you can say, God, you know what? This isn't about me. This is about you hooking me up with this person in this situation. And here I am, you know, faced with a situation. I don't know how to deal with their, their issues, but God, give me understanding so that I can address them in a biblical way. Um, and, and we need to have that kind of an understanding heart. Um, we have to have a willingness to be involved in his or her life. We may not accept what they've been involved in or what they've done, but we have to accept them as a person. And if they're coming to you as a person, I mean, they're one of God's creatures. And we need to remember that. And it's understanding that draws them into that relationship so that you can hopefully deal with whatever issues they're dealing with. Next one, honesty, obvious. Nothing sets the heart free like the truth. We saw that in John. But in 24, 24 to 26 of Proverbs, it says, He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon him. He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. See, when you are telling somebody something, tell them the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts, right? Sometimes the truth is hard to take. That's why you need 
objectivity and you need discernment and you need good listening skills and you need all these other things, understanding. But you have to be honest with somebody. Truth on the counselor's part provides an atmosphere of really freedom so the, the person being counseled can deal openly with the problem. Sometimes truth requires what? Rebuke, right? When this is presented properly, it's going to really bear out long-term results in their lives. But if you just go about it hastily and you just throw a rebuke out there to somebody, that's not going to be received. So we need to be honest with people. If people have issues and they come to you, you know, don't mealy mouse around the problem. Deal with the problem. Be honest. And then a genuine interest in love. That's kind of obvious. We need that not only in counseling, but just in general in the body of Christ, right? You see how a lot of these are intertwined into what the body of Christ is, right? What are we called to do? We're called to bear one another burdens. We're, we're called to come together and forgive and, 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 and deal with each other and confess our sins to one another. We're, we're called to do all this, to love and have fellowship with each other. We have to have that genuine interest in that genuine love. In 27.9 it says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Oil and perfume, perfume make the heart glad. That word friend there means exciting or exceed, exciting, exceedingly close companion. See, there, there's a need when we're counseling somebody, we're not just there for the, you know, okay, you got a problem, okay, let's deal with the problem, then you're out of my life. That, that's not what a counselor would do, a biblical counselor. You know, you want to establish a relationship with that person. It's really a way of discipleship. You're showing a sincere interest in that person. And there should be some appropriate and God-honoring involvement. But not to the point where you're losing your objectivity with the person, obviously. If they've got issues, you need to deal with those issues. Um, and then the fourth thing here in the outline, what kinds of people miss the benefit of counseling? See, there's some people that are great to be counselors, but you know what? There's some people that would never, never even entertain that. Uh, there's some people that will miss the benefit of counseling. The failure may not be with the counselor, but instead it may be with the one seeking counsel. I remember when we went for premarital counseling down at Las Gadas Christian and Beacon and I, and, you know, here I've been in ministry for several years and gone through classes and done all this stuff and never been married, but I knew it all. So we went in there and, you know, we're into the, like the, 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 you know, second week. And I'm thinking, how long is this thing to myself? You know, 12 weeks? Well, I don't know about this, you know. Well, what turned out to be, was supposed to be 12 weeks, I don't know, it turned into 18 or whatever. Uh, issues, you know, we had issues. <laughs> I had issues. <laughs> But I remember even the second meeting, sitting there going, okay, what's this guy going to tell me? He's not even a pastor. This guy's like, you know, he's on a second marriage. And I just remember judging these people, just severely in my heart. I never even told my wife. I just, you know, because I know what her reaction would have been to that. So I just, you know, I just kind of plugged my ears and said, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. You know, and by the third or fourth meeting, you know, the, the guy said, you know, I don't think we need to continue this. We're not going to recommend you two of you get married. I'm like, what? 
It just blew me away. Like, I'm thinking, I'm just, you know, here to go through this walk in the park with these people and just say, I got the marital, premarital counseling, now, you know, I can go through with the marriage kind of a deal. And they had some very legitimate concerns. And they fell mainly on me. <laughs> and so I had some things to deal with. And... Uh, you can ask my wife if I dealt with them or not, but we did go through the counseling. We did complete it, even though it was a prolonged period of time. But it was helpful. It was very helpful. We learned a lot about each other. I learned about, a lot about myself. Um, I'll never forget that one time I was talking to my brother Paul on the phone, and before I hung up the phone, this is when I was probably, uh, you know, years ago, and... Uh, before he hung up the phone, he goes, okay, well, we'll see you later. And I said, yeah, and he, he just got into ministry, and he had his church and everything. He goes, okay, well, I love you, Steve. Just pause, nothing, didn't say anything. It's like, hey, are you there? I'm like, yeah, I'm here. And he goes, what? I love you. Okay. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? <laughs> you know, that's how I was, truly. That's how far gone I was. And he's like, you can't say it, can you? I go, I can't say what? Because you, you can't say that back to me, can you? I'm like, well, yeah, I could. You know I do. I mean, come on. What are you, what are you playing this game with me? So, no, he's, I learned something in the class I went. You know, and he started all this you know, counseling stuff with me. Started telling me all this stuff. And he goes, you know, the way we were raised in our family, I mean, we're a very loving family, but we never showed it. We showed it in weird ways. <laughs> okay? And... You need to learn to say you love you. I, I love you. And I can't believe how hard that was. Just to mouth those words to my brother. I have no issues with my brother. You know, love him dearly. But to actually say those words, there was something in me just like, oh, why do I have to say this? Why are you making me say this? Back to the, you're making me do something. Fine, I love you too. Okay, bye, click. I mean, that's how it ended. But you know what? He planted a seed in my mind, and I started thinking, why, is, why am I that way? Why don't I like to get close to people? Why don't I like to hug people? Why don't I, why don't I like to, you know, to further relationships with people? Because there was something blocking all that. See, and I was one of these people that could not benefit from counsel. I just shut down. And those are listed there. First of all, those who forsake the truth. Those who forsake the truth. Time's sake, you can look these verses up on your own. You're going to miss the benefit of counseling if you're not willing to deal with the truth. That's what I was dealing with. I was unable to deal with the truth he was giving to me. Now I tell everybody I love them when I hang up the phone. Seriously. I mean, I, I remember one time I was talking, I don't even know who I was talking to on the phone. Was it somebody from the church? Huh? Yeah, it was Anita, some friends that we have down in the, uh, the desert. I think we're living down there, right? Or we're up here. And we're ending the conversation. I mean, this is a married woman, you know, that I'm talking to, close friends, you know, we love their kids and everything. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, we'll love you, Anita. I'm like, why did I say that? I'm turning red. And, and she's like, okay. And she just hung up. I told Ambika, I'm like, why did I, I don't know. So, I mean, you've got to kind of put things in a box. You know, you can't be telling everybody you love them because then it loses its meaning. But it, was just, it just kind of came out. 
But see, if we're not willing to face the truth in our own life, if we, don't have, if we have issues and we're not willing to face them, we're not going to benefit from anybody's counsel. We have to not forsake the truth concerning us. Secondly, those who don't benefit for counsel are those who want to only talk. You go in the council and you pay the guy and you you know, I'm there to talk. I don't want to hear you. I have issues in my life and I'm here to voice them to you. You're the person that's supposed to sit there and uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. And then I pay my bill and I leave and I feel better. Haven't dealt with anything. But see, there's certain people that all they want to do is talk. And the people, a lot of times, all they want to talk about is their problems. And it's, it goes in this circle. It's in a circle. And it, they just keep on talking about them. One time John and I were meeting with somebody and I just said, you know what? I just want to let this person talk. Just let them talk. I, I'm just curious. It's a morbid curiosity. I want to see how long they can talk. About their problems. Just the, kind of the fun of it. I mean, going on two hours, I'm thinking, are are you for real? Same thing, over and over, over again. Circular, just, you know, and you got this, and then they're right back to the other problem. They they just keep on going. They they don't want to hear what you have to say. They just want somebody to hear about their problems. They only want to talk. Well, they're not going to get better. They're not going to get any help at all. Sometimes you have to stop. And you have to say, okay, I understand your problem. Do you want to know what the Bible says about it? Because if you do, I'll show you. If you don't want to know, okay, I'll pray for you. See you later. But I'm not going to sit here for another hour and listen to you go on and on and on about your problem. I already know what it is. Thirdly, those who are angry and do not want to change. That was me. I was angry. And you can go into all the psychobabble reasons why I may have been angry. I don't know. I felt I was raised in a great home. And my brother tells me one day, well, you don't think that losing your mom at three, having your mom die when you were three, and your dad die when you were seven, and one of your most favorite brothers that you really loved, and we're going to go live with him in Germany, die when you were 14. You don't think that affected you? No. It didn't affect me. I was angry. I didn't even know why I was angry. I still get angry sometimes, and I don't know why. Ask the elders. They know. They've seen it. Ask my wife. But see, the key is they're angry, and they don't want to change. You can't help somebody like that. They're going to miss the benefit of counseling, and there comes a point where you say, you know what, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to tell you. I'll pray for you. Those who despise the truth... It's a little different than forsaking the truth. Those who forsake the truth have presented the truth and, you know, they just don't want it. Despising the truth, they hear the truth and they hate the truth. Remember, as a youth pastor, I talked to a husband one time who was trying to tell me it was God's will that he divorce his wife and marry his secretary. I said, I'm sorry. That, that is not God's will. Well, what do you mean? I love her. <laughs> Unlove her. I don't know what to tell you, but I can tell you that it's not God's will. What you're doing is wrong. And showed him scripture. 
One listen. One listen. They despise the truth. Those who cover up or defend their inappropriate behavior or hostility, stuff like that, you know, they, they want to just defend everything. Constantly defending. Well, yeah, I did this, but... Or those who simply give no response. You ever talk to somebody like that? You're talking to them and it's like, is anybody home? No response, just flatline, boom, nothing. See, those kind of characteristics, they're not going to benefit from anybody's counsel. They're just not. And we need to be wise and we need to practice discernment when it comes to dealing with people like that. That we don't waste all our resources in, in an area that it's not going to benefit them at all. And that's where only God can give you that, that ability to understand. Well, I want to share with you this morning in closing that there is a counselor, counselor who is always, always available. Right? He's always available. In Isaiah 9, 6, it tells us, the prophet Isaiah foretold the coming of Christ and it included in his description the name, Wonderful Counselor. Um, today his words of counsel are conveyed through the printed word of God and through the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and through other believers. But you know what? There is something about the piercing and penetrating truth of the word of God that man can't resist. Anytime, day or night, the door to this counselor's office is always open. And to enter his counseling chamber, chamber basically is simply to open up this, the, the pages of the Word of God and allow his words to address the needs in your heart. That should be your first stop. Sometimes that's not your only stop. Sometimes there's other professional needs that, that you may have that need a professional counselor, biblical counselor. But I think too many times we're too quick to run to people and tell them, all our problems because we just want to be heard or we just want people to know what our problems are. Sometimes we just need to go to God and we just need to ask God, you know what, God, direct my heart. Give me wisdom in this area. Perhaps you never thought yourself a counselor. I trust our study through this morning, through the book of Proverbs, has helped you to develop maybe a new concept in your mind that as a believer, you are a counselor. And I trust that you would give out God's word, because it's, it's the only counsel that will, with a promise of not returning, uh, void. So when you counsel people, when you talk to people, when you discuss people's issues, whatever it may be, look to God for wisdom, and then look to how to apply his word to the issue. And we trust that God will do that this morning. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we know that we're not professional counselors here, as some may be here, the trained and things like that, but I know that I'm not a professional counselor. I would never claim to be that. But, Lord, I do know that your word is sufficient for us to provide people with counsel. And, Lord, we, we do thank you for those among us who have been trained professionally and do have the insight, um, maybe a lot more than we do. Um, but, Lord, your word... Uh, clearly tells us that you created us. You know us better than anyone. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would move and work in our hearts. That, Lord, when we're giving out advice or counsel, Lord, may it be from you, not just our opinion. May we be able to go to your word and give 
counsel and um, uh, advice from your word that we know will work effectively in a person's life. And so, Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would dismiss us after this next song with your blessing. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. All God's people say, Amen.